bells ring Are you listening In the lane Snow is glistening Universal cycle Happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Oh, Tim. Yes, true. You don't know what this does to me. I can see it on your face, and I'm afraid to know what's going on in your head. <laughs> oh, this is... <laughs> this is the best Christmas album. Sorry, James I like Bruce, Taylor. I like Bruce Coburn's. That's my favorite. Wow. All right, folks. I gotta keep. Why keep saying folks? All right, everybody. Crew, squad. Matab Mamoudi is the author of My Name Is Matab. More than two decades ago, not without my daughter, told of an American mother and her young daughter kidnapped and held captive in Iran by an abusive and fanatical husband and father. The tale of their imprisonment and harrowing escape across the snow-capped mountains into Turkey, it's a very festive place, was a global sensation, captured in an international best-selling book and a film starring Sally Field. Not Without My Daughter was the story of maternal love set amid uh, international political turmoil. Now, 25 years later, wow. The daughter, at the center of it all, finishes the story. In her new memoir, My Name is Matab, Matab Mamoudi, uh, recounts not only what she experienced and endured as a precocious yet frightened little girl, but also her life after fleeing Iran, living in fear of re-abduction, Jeez. battling recurring nightmares and anxiety attacks, taking on an assumed name and surviving life-threatening illness, all under the menacing shadow of her father. We're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins book on our... Uh, uh, Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with uh, faithbooks.ca. So go to the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page to find out how you could win today's book. And on the phone with us is Matab. Matab, I got to say, last night I decided to go on to the old YouTube there and uh, watch the movie. It's the first time I've seen the movie, not without my daughter. When was the last time you saw it? Oh, that's a great question. It has been many, many years. I think probably when I was. In college, uh, in the late 90s, maybe 2000, I was at Michigan State, and it was its always big excitement whenever I make a new group of friends, and then we watch the movie, they ask their questions, and sometimes it's not up. Old hat, old hat. After that point, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, we've we've uh, we found someone special, and now we've we've got what we want out of them, and and uh, we move on. It happens to me all the right. time, Matab. People just do the same with me, you know. <laughs> and then you're just who you really are. All I, the rest just goes away. Yep. They they go to bed with the Drew Marshall show. They wake up at Drew Marshall. I'm telling you. Uh, remember that? What was that? What was that? That lady, that actress, that said that. Um, oh, I don't know. She's from the Silver Screen area. Area era. Um, oh, West. Yeah, you know, something like that. Anyway, listen. I watched the thing last night, and aside from the whole single camera, you know, not uh, not moving on a tripod, still shot, everything, you know, painfully centered. You know, the way we used to film things. I was ready for something really slow, and I was ready, to be honest, to turn it off. But it kept me, and it kept me, and it kept me. And one of the reasons it kept me, and I think it's the reason with everybody, is, is the maternal or paternal uh, thing that goes on in that movie. And so do you mind if I start with some pessimistic questions? <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> okay. All right. There's also a YouTube video out there starring your dad. Where, mm -hmm. where well, I'm sure it was a documentary of some sort, but I saw it on YouTube. And... Um, you know, your dad, is, it's basically, it's a thing saying, look, I wasn't the evil monster they portrayed me to be. Uh, mm -hmm. They they lied. Uh, your mom lied about things. 
And um, and now the world is left as outsiders to decide, well, who's telling the truth? Do you think there is one, one clincher for people to really get them to understand that yours was the truth, your side? Well, you know, I believe in freedom. I, I believe that people can think for themselves. And I've never engaged in the he said, she said debate. So, you know... I, my dad, when I was 21, but he, you're right, this was a documentary. I was at Michigan State University, and I was 21, and he was working on this documentary with a producer from Finland. And he left a, a message on our answering machine at Mom's house. I saw that. Saying, yeah, and so he said, you know, he's, he's my daughter, and I'm 21, and I can think for myself, and he's going to tell me what really happened. And my immediate response was to look at Mom and say, well, did he forget that I was there? Because I remember for myself what happened. You know, I, I still haven't read Mom's book. Um, I I have my own memories of that time, and that's what I wrote about is, is uh, my perspective. There are things that Mom and I remember differently, and uh, she hasn't told me what those things are. <laughs> so I think that's normal that when you uh, go through an experience, you we're all different. We all have different experiences, and we, we perceive things differently. Um However, I, I do feel like my dad's memory of, of things is uh, quite different from how I remember sure, it. Sure, sure. Well, a couple things here. First of all, you, you've, you've still not read your mother's book? That's so interesting. Is that because it, it would trigger PTSD stuff? Or is it because oh. you, you just don't have an interest? Or Well, there's not a need because I lived it. And I, I know what I experienced. And then after our escape, you know, she was asked to write almost immediately after our escape, and uh, she started sharing the story openly, and I traveled the world with her. I, I grew up traveling the world with her and, and sharing and talking about these things, and that was really cathartic for me to, mm. to talk about what could have been really traumatic and what could have been so shame-inducing if it had been kept secret and hidden. Um, so in a lot of ways, that, that process was so freeing for me, but... There was never a, read, a need for me to read Mom's book because we talked so openly. If there was something I was curious about, we talked about it. Okay, um, you were four when you went to Iran, six when you escaped. Around 1991 was when the movie came out. You were 11 or 12. Is that about right? Correct. Mm -hmm. um, four when you went to Iran, six when you escaped. So that's old enough to, to, to remember stuff for sure. Do you remember, well, let me ask you, did your father ever ever hit you? Not spank you, hit you. No, he did. He hit me. Um, you know, I remember a time he backhanded me and, and split my lip open, and then I was bleeding, and everyone's backing away because blood is dirty. You know, najas. That's one of the, the few words I remember in Farsi, najas. Hmm. You know, that blood was dirty. Um, but I remember many times when he was beating my mom, and as a child it was much more painful for me. Uh, when he beat her than when he beat me. And I would try to intervene, try to jump in between them, try to distract him in some way. And I remember him picking me up and throwing me across the room and, you know, crashing into the wall. I remember trying to stick my fingers down my throat so I would vomit so that he would be distracted long enough to, you know, stop beating her. I remember other relatives being there and him, you know, holding her with two fistfuls of her hair and bashing her head into the wall and screaming at her. And they stood there and did nothing. 
these are these are things that I didn't read about. You know, these are things that I was a part of and, and witnessed and, and tried to stop as a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, your last name is uh, is Mahmoud. Are you married? I'm not. Ever been? Well, I decided years ago that um, so much of my life was public, and so much of my life we had just, you know, I grew up sharing it with the world, and I had to decide what was going to be mine and, and what I was going to share with the world. So that's the one area where I've decided that's mine, <laughs> and I don't talk about my private life. Oh, okay. Well, the, I mean, I'm sorry, but the the reason I ask that is because of if if you know, with all that you've experienced, with all that you have seen, with the trauma, with the PTSD that goes with everything, I'm. I, it would have an impact. It must have an impact on on relationships that you may or may not have, on whether you're going to get married or not. You know that sort of thing. So that's where I was going with that line of questioning. Oh no, absolutely. I th- I was so blessed after our escape that. Uh I think God used this difficult time to direct our paths, and, and he put me in an elementary, a, a parochial elementary school, and I had these amazing teachers who taught me right from the time of our escape about God's love and his protection and the importance of forgiveness, and and uh, at the same time, Mom was working overtime at home to help me remember the good that we had shared as a family and help me remember that my dad was not all bad. No one is, is all good or all bad, and that he loved me very much. And uh, But we had had a happy family. And so th- I mean, th- these were clearly really traumatic, horrible experiences in my childhood, but they were so far outweighed by the good. And I mean, not to say that it didn't impact me. I wasn't going to go to fourth grade because uh, when I was in third grade, I, I said, no, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to have a male teacher in fourth grade. I don't need fourth grade because I'm going to be a first-grade teacher. <laughs> that was the end of the story. <laughs> but my fourth-grade teacher was this lovely, gentle, kind, funny, nurturing man. And so, I mean, yes, I had a bad experience with my dad, but there were so many other good experiences along the way that um, you, know, you can't generalize. But not everyone is, is like my dad. My name is Matab is the name of the book, an international bestseller. The story that began in the global phenomenon, Not Without My Daughter, continues on the phone with Matab Mahmoudi. Am I saying your name right, by the way? You say it like the good Western way of saying it. So I'm going to try it the, I'm going to try it the, uh, the non-Western way. Are you ready? Okay. This is where it gets awkward here on the show. <laughs> <clears throat> Have to clear my throat. <laughs> Matab Mahmoudi. <laughs> I say Matab. Okay, Matab Mahmoudi. So I, I say Matab, and then someone says Matab right back to me, so I like Matab. That works just fine. <laughs> I'm pathetic with names. I really am. Um, let's let's talk about the people. Well, hold on. This is the this is my summary of what I saw in the movie, and you tell me how accurate this is, okay? Because people people might be listening, not knowing really what what went down. So, um, your mom married an Iranian. He mm-hmm. he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you came along, and um, and then he said, "Look, we really got to go back and visit my family. We've got to get back there and visit. They really want. It's been ten years. Let's go visit her." This is stuff again, stuff from the movie that I remember. And some I, I realize movies are movies and they take liberty, etc. And then once over there for visiting, uh, it was it suddenly it became clear at some point that you weren't coming back, and um, 
and then that started the 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 hell that really you guys went through until eventually a, after you know years of abuse and um and um you know all sorts of unspeakable horrors you you and your mom were able to escape with the help of some people and you were able to come back to America, but then you still lived in fear of, of this man coming and finding you. Is, is that pretty much the gist of things? That's a pretty fair summary, yes. The people that helped you escape, there was a scene there that made me wonder why people were helping you, and it seemed like they were helping you out of the goodness of their heart. Was there a God thing in those? You know, because sometimes you, with people are that nice. <laughs> There's a God thing, you know. I've said this is I've said this quite cheekily over the years. Cheekily, that's not a real word, but I'll use it today. I like that word. Okay, um, I've said uh, they're so nice they've got to be Mormon. You know, you know what I mean. Um, I'm not touching that one. No. <laughs> but um, were, was there a faith component to any of the people that helped rescue you? I think. God works in really mysterious ways, and you know the Bible tells us every good and perfect gift is from above. So there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that God used these people to help us. You know, hmm. whether these people were doing it because they were, you know, this was they're motivated by Christian faith. I don't think that was it. You know, these were um, people who genuinely wanted to help us, and I think it's by the grace of God that. Um, we were connected with these people who were willing to risk their lives to, and not just their lives, you know, their, their families' lives, to help us because they wanted me to know that not all Iranians are like my dad and his family. You know, the, the man who finally was able to arrange the escape, the only payment he wanted was to know there was a smile on my face. Hmm. And this is, it's selfless. It's really um, a beautiful, selfless act. What is your take on the Islamophobia that's happening right now in the United States? And do, would you even call it Islamophobia? I don't know. Maybe I'm putting a word into your mouth. Maybe you're maybe you're going to vote for uh, Mr. Trump in the future. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's really sad, the, the state of the world and, and the, the fear that's being sown in the world. Um, you know, I have friends who are Muslims, and they're not like this. You know, I have I have friends who are Muslims married to Christians, and they are really kind and generous and loving and hospitable. And this isn't, you know, we can't we can't characterize any group by the behavior of some. You know, and I say the same thing. We've been criticized. Mom and I have been criticized over the years for for giving uh, Iranians or Muslims or men. Uh, a bad name, and I think, boy, you know, if if that is the case, by sharing our story, that it's reflected poorly on these groups. It's certainly my dad's behavior and and his choices that are reflecting poorly. And I, I think in in this situation that it's the choices and it's the behavior of of some people that fit into these groups that just reflects so poorly on the group. But it, you know, it's not my experience that all Muslims are jihadist or, or yeah. terrorist. Yeah. Well, but there is a, um, there is a, I don't even know how to say this, a patriarchal system of abuse within the, the culture uh, there where, where whatever men say 
is, is what people do, is what women do. Women do not have near the the respect or the freedom that they would have over here in North America. That's still still true, I would imagine, for the most part. I've not actually been to Iran, but I've been close enough to to have experienced that culture. And um, I'll, I'll just well, let me ask you this: in Moody at Moody um, University, I think it's called uh, it's a conservative Christian place, one of the professors. Uh, in solidarity with their Muslim sisters, wore a hijab uh, to school or to, I don't know, a Facebook post. Anyway, she was suspended because she, she she wore a hijab. And I thought, hmm, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, you're one who has experienced abuse from a culture, a segment of a culture... And what I hear you saying is, yeah, but you can't write off the whole culture. True? That's right. That's right. That is, that is what I believe. You know, uh, when we were in Iran, I can't speak for what Iran is like today. When we were in Iran in the 80s, you know, the government was very interested in controlling society and even down to the thought, you know, school was, uh, it was a rote system of education. So children were asked questions and they were given the answers and they weren't allowed to think for themselves. They were just expected to repeat the answer in unison. Coloring books, one page was colored and the other was black and white. Children couldn't choose what color they wanted to color their pictures. They were taught only to follow. And you know, so I, I believe in freedom. I, I very much appreciate the freedoms that we have. And I think that... You know, I was asked recently... Uh, there was a country, and I, I should remember where I don't remember. Maybe Belgium. I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to say I'm not positive on the country. But there was going to be a vote to decide whether or not hijab should be outlawed. And so this journalist thought, of course, I would think hijab should be outlawed. And I said, well, no, I don't think it should be outlawed. Do I want to wear it? No. Do I want people to be forced to wear it? No. <laughs> but do I want the government to tell me that I'm forbidden to wear it? No, I, I think this is the danger we face as a society now, is yeah. that um, it, this becomes a form of discrimination. This becomes you know, a, an impetus. There's an impetus here to remove freedom. And the scarier thing for me is to see that in the name of safety, people in the Western world are, are gladly giving up freedom hmm. in exchange to feel safer. And then I think the terrorists really win, because... This is uh, an attack of uh, ideology. So if we so easily give up our freedom, you know, and and our democracy, our what makes the Western world the Western world, um, we're we're giving in. Um, Matab, I want to ask you about August twenty second, two thousand and nine. I think that's the correct date. Was that the day your dad passed away? Oh, um, it must be. Yes. He was 70 years old. How did you find out that your dad had died? We have uh, many friends in Germany. We, the mom's book was very successful in Germany, and so the folks at the publishing company became like family to us, and we've traveled there many times. And, and one of our friends from Germany saw it you know, on TV or on the Internet, and he called. And mom actually was visiting me. We, I, we lived several hours apart from each other then, and she happened to be with me, and he called, and she answered the phone, and, and she got the news. Do you remember that news impacting you in any way? I would imagine, I would wonder how that news, the man who had caused so much hell in your life, so much 
so much uh, torment, it finally died. How did that impact you? Well, it certainly wasn't a joyous occasion. Uh, I'd forgiven him years ago for what he did to us in Iran. And so there was, you know, for my part, an absolute lack of malice toward him. I, I wished him well. I, you know, I prayed for him. I, I wanted him to have a good life and, and to move on and to live his life. Uh, it was scary every time he would reappear in my life, and I would have to work through that process all over again. But I certainly didn't have any ill will toward him. And when he died, there was that moment of relief, you know, this, this brief moment of, oh, finally this threat is over. Because for me, it was like my dad died in 1984 when he said we couldn't come back to America. He wasn't the same person after that. And so right. that grieving process was long gone for me. Um, but then at the same time, I felt really sad that he wasted his life. Up until the, the near his death, near the time of his death, he was still trying to find a way to have a reunion. And, uh, you know, I, I really had hoped that he would continue to live his life, and that wasn't the case. Well, as I'm looking at the clock, I realize a couple things. First of all, I have so many questions for you, and I don't have enough time. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But I want to I want to finish with, um, with your God story, because, you know, that's a big part of your journey, and you've, you, you are breathing this. It, it just naturally comes out of you. When did you start to own your own spiritual journey? When did you you know, sort of willingly walk into your own faith, and why? Well, I, people ask me sometimes when I became a Christian, and I don't know. I think I, I don't know of a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. We, before we went to Iran, in my book I write about the Armenian branch of my family. They're, they're not literally family, but they are very much family to me, and, and they had experienced some of the most evil this world can throw at you, and they loved God, and they shared so openly, you know, this this world can be horrible, but God is always good. He loves us. He protects us. He cares for us. You know, my mom was a Christian. She calls herself a lazy Christian. So there were always these influences in my life planting these seeds. And then after our escape, I ended up at a, a Lutheran elementary school where every day we had devotions. Every day we read the Bible. We learned about baptism. We learned about Joseph and his brothers and forgiveness. And, and so I think I was seven when I put my foot down and said, I want to be baptized. <laughs> I hadn't been baptized as an infant, and I wanted to be baptized. And so I was I was baptized. And you, that was you, my decision. You seem like a very, I don't know, you seem like a, a lovely, warm, caring, gentle person. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a dark side to you as well, but 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 what I'm trying to say is, do you think you were all you know nice, <laughs> and, and and then the God stuff happened, or do you think the God stuff has 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 turned you into this gracious, forgiving person? Do you think you were just sort of that way anyway, or would you say the only reason I forgave my father was because of Jesus or something like that? Yes, yes, I think forgiveness comes from God. It is it's not in our nature to forgive, you know. I, I, I believe our, our human sinful our, our human nature is sinful. You know, we can't of our own thinking or choosing, you know, do anything good in God's sight. And and thank God for the grace He gives us. And and uh, yeah, it's everything good in this world comes from God. 
So I think that applies to the gift of forgiveness, too. That's not something that I was capable of. That was a gift from God. Well, I don't know. There's something something about you I like. <laughs> it just sounds creepy <laughs> well, over the phone here. My, my name is Matab. You see, I put the right emphasis on the first part. Matab, right? <laughs> yes, okay. perfect. The story that began in the global phenomena, not without my daughter, continues. Matab Mahmoudi is the author, and that's who we've been speaking with. And, of course, your chance to win a copy, you can go to the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, and there's something there for you to click on. Just look for me in my goofy Santa hat or whatever it is. Um, Merry Christmas to you, Matab. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. This has been a real pleasure. <laughs> it has for me as well. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Matab Mahmoudi. Two decades ago, Not Without My Daughter told of a daring escape by an American mother and her six-year-old child from an abusive and fanatical Iranian husband and father. Now that daughter finishes the story that captivated the world in My Name is Matab. Follow Matab as she survives her imprisonment and escape, and her life after fleeing Iran, living in fear of re-abduction, battling recurring nightmares and panic attacks, and surviving life-threatening illness, all under the menacing shadow of her father. My Name is Matab is the story of an extraordinary young woman's triumph over crushing trauma to build a life of peace and forgiveness.